Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressed us in the Qur'an as Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu That O oh, you who believe This is one of the rahmas, one of the mercies of Allah That He has chosen to address us in this beautiful manner That He has adorned us with this khitab By calling us the alladheena amanu By calling us those who believe So whenever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses us in this manner He normally tells us something to do commands us to do something that will bear fruit or will testify to the truth of our iman. Therefore, if we want to be known as Alladina Amanu, not just in this world, but we want to be raised in the Day of Judgment amongst the Alladina Amanu, it means that we must study this Qur'an and we must see all the injunctions Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us to do and to follow everything He says when He addresses us in this way. So, Ya Ayyuhalladina Amanu doesn't simply mean, O oh, you who believe. It means, O oh, you who aspire to belief, O oh, you who have professed belief with your tongues, O oh, you who wish to have perfect belief in your hearts, do you have the following characteristic? Will you do the following thing that you will show with your heart and your actions that you truly testify in your iman? So in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanuku anfusakum wa ahlikum nara That you must save yourself and your ahl from the hellfire. Now this command is for both men, and it is also for women. That women, she, a woman, she must save herself from the hellfire, and she must also save her ahl from the hellfire. Her ahl means any human being who is part of her family, who is part of her social circle, anybody who she can influence in any way. It means for a woman primarily, her family and her children, but also it can mean the women in her society, the women in her neighborhood, any person who it is legitimate or permissible in the sharia for her to meet, she can also view that, that that is her ahl. The Prophet Muhammad said in a hadith, كُلُّكُمْ رَعِيٌ وَكُلُّكُمْ مَسْؤُولًا عَنْ That each and every one of you is a shepherd, and you will be asked on the Day of Judgment about your herd, it means that we will be asked on the Day of Judgment that did we use our knowledge of the deen to affect and influence those people around us. So it means that on the Day of Judgment, each and every one of us will be responsible, each and every one of the women here will be responsible for themselves, but also for their family members. In fact, it comes in tafsir under this ayah, Al-mar'atu ra'iyatun ala ahli baytiha that a woman is a shepherd for her family and she will be asked about her family. So it means that we have to work on ourselves to make Allah SWT forgive us. And it means that the women here in the Dar they should make the niyyah, the intention that, Oh Allah, I have come here only to learn how to be pleasing to you. 
But Allah, I have come here only to learn how to save myself from your punishment, to learn how to obey you, to learn how to make myself beloved in your eyes. But I must also learn, or I must also make myself uh, such a good Muslim that I can help the people around me. I can be a means of guiding others. So how can a woman help other people? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed a woman with this ability that he has placed the love of a woman in four different ways in people's hearts. So the first identity that a woman has is as a daughter. If you see in every home, the parents, they love their daughter so much. They want to do so many things to fulfill the daughter's wishes. They want to keep their daughter happy at all times. In fact, the love for the daughter is something that you will find even in the life of our beloved messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The proof that you can even see in your own society of the love for a daughter is that whenever a girl gets married, if you just look on her wedding day, if you see her parents, her father when she is getting married, he's crying. The mother when the girl is getting married, she's crying. Although the parents should be happy on that day, they should think that we have fulfilled our responsibility, we raised our daughter up, now she has become mature, she is moving into her new home, she is beginning her new life, and we took care of her for all the time that she was with us. But instead, the father and mother are crying. Why? Because they have so much love for their daughter, that they took so much care of their daughter, that now in front of their very eyes, that daughter whom they nurtured from the moment she was born, they provided for her needs throughout her life, now she was going into somebody else's home, and they don't know whether that daughter will get that same love in this new home. So because of their incredible love for their daughter, you will see that the father and mother are often crying when their daughter is getting married. This deep love for the daughter, you can see it even in the life of our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And your Darululum here, Jamia Fatima Zuhra. So the beloved Messenger Sallallahu he had so much love for Sayyidina Fatima radiallahu anha. It comes in hadith that when she used to come to visit him, he used to stand up in her istikbal, or he used to stand up to receive her, to welcome her. Not only that, that sometimes when she used to come, the Prophet Muhammad would give her his place. He would get up, he would greet her, and he would ask her to sit where he was sitting. It comes in another deed that the Prophet Muhammad said that Fatima, she's just like a piece of my heart. So the Prophet Muhammad had so much love for his daughter. And this love goes two ways. When the parents love the daughter so much, then the daughters love their parents. Sayyidina Fatima radiallahu anha, she had so much love for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Once Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu, he came home and he had earned some money after working a long day. And with that money he had bought a small amount of flour. He gave it to Sayyidina Fatima and he asked her to make some bread. So she made the bread and it turned out that there were enough pieces of bread from that flour that each and every member of her family could have one piece of bread. So when she was eating her piece of bread, after she took a couple of bites, all of a sudden the thought came to her that, Oh Fatima, you were sitting here and you were eating bread but do you know whether your father, the beloved Nabi Wasallam, has he had anything to eat? So immediately then she saved half of that piece of bread, she wrapped it in her shawl, and she went to the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam. When she went to him and he greeted her, as I told you, he would be so happy when he saw her. So she came to him and said, O oh, Rasulullah, I had enough flour today to make one bread for each and every member of my family, 
But when I was having this piece of bread, I thought of you, my beloved father, that I didn't know whether you had had anything to eat. So she took out the piece of bread from her shawl and that she gave that half piece of bread to the Prophet. It comes in a deed that the Prophet Muhammad he smiled, he took that piece of bread, he took a bite, he chewed it, and then he said, O Fatima, I take a qasam, I swear in the name of that being in whose hand is my life, that know that your father, for three days, not a single morsel of food has passed in your father's mouth. So may Allah Ta'ala give everybody such a pious daughter, such a loving daughter, that Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said in Fatima, and may he make every daughter love their parents and care for their parents, the way this noble woman, Sayyidina Fatima radiallahu anhu, that the love that she had for the beloved messenger. Another daughter, Sayyidina Zainab radiallahu anhu, once the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu before the time of Hijrah, he was passing through Makkah Mukarramah, and some young men, they saw some young men of the unbelievers, the kuffar of the Quraysh of Makkah. They saw the Prophet Muhammad walking by, so they thought it was an opportunity for them. They went up to him and they chastised him. They said, we hear that you speak against the religion of our forefathers. We hear that you call our, our, our idols false. So they started to push the Prophet. They started to shove the Prophet so much so that one young man, then he picked up some soil and he threw some dirt onto the Prophet ﷺ's face. When he did that, then the other men, they also took courage and they started attacking the Prophet ﷺ, such that they left him somewhat wounded and they left some wounds on his face. Then when they left him, they said that if we ever see you again, then know that we will do even more to you, so you had better stop leaving this preaching that you were doing against our religion. And they left and the Prophet ﷺ walked away. When some Muslims came to hear about this, they rushed to his daughter, Sayyidina Zainab radiallahu anha. And they told her that Prophet ﷺ is coming to you, but this uh, this event has happened, he's coming to you in this condition. So she was so worried, she quickly got some water in a bowl, so that Prophet ﷺ could use it to wipe away the wounds on his face. When the Prophet ﷺ came to her, and she gave him that bowl, he lifted the bowl towards his face to wash away his wounds. But then he saw her in the reflection of the water, he saw that his daughter Sayyidina Zainab was crying. So when he saw her crying in the reflection of the water, he put the bowl down. And he addressed her and said, O Zainab, why is it that you cry? Know that in the name of that Lord who has sent me with this message, that there will come a day when this message will reach the four corners of the world. Therefore there is nothing to be worried about. Just think about how much Prophet Muhammad from this story, how much he loved his ummah. That at that moment, when he should have been so sad, when he was oppressed by the youth of his time, he took solace, he took comfort in the fact that this deen would spread to the four corners of the world. So you and I, my sisters, we live in these other corners of the world. It means that Prophet Muhammad instead of being sad that the young men and women of his own city wouldn't accept his deen, he took comfort from the fact that one day, maybe people like you in this corner of Africa would accept the deen. So if Prophet Muhammad at that moment took so much comfort in us, had so much hope that in the future this deen would spread, that he didn't even attend to his wounds, but he first told this to his daughter, it means that we should also view ourselves in this way. We should also think that we should follow the deen, follow the sunnah in such a way that we can truly live up to the hopes and expectations of our beloved Prophet. Another story about Sayyidina Zainab, that her husband, when she was originally married before the prophethood, uh, her husband did not accept Islam initially. So when the Muslims migrated from Mecca to Medina, she asked her husband that, do you give me permission to migrate to Medina? And he said, yes. 
So then she set off on her camel to make the journey to Medina. When the kuffar of Makkah found out, they got very upset. They got upset with her husband. They said, how can it be that you let a daughter of the Prophet go unscathed to Medina? How can it be that she can go so freely from our lands? So they sent some people after her. Those people went after her and they attacked her camel and they made her fall to the ground. It comes in a riwayah that Sayyidina Zainal radiallahu anha, she was pregnant at this time and she fell down and she hit her spine so hard that she ended up having a miscarriage. And not only that, but she used to have this pain in her back for her whole life. The Prophet Muhammad used to say it about her, he would look at her and tell, oh, he would tell the Sahaba about her that my daughter Zainab, truly she has gone and experienced so much difficulties for the sake of this deed. So eventually she made it to Medina and later on there was this famous battle of Badr. In the battle of Badr, Sayyidina Zainab Madanha's husband, he still hadn't accepted Islam and he actually fought on the side of the enemy. Many enemy soldiers were captured and kept prisoners of war. And then the Sahaba, they did mashra, they consulted with the Prophet, and they said that instead of just keeping these prisoners, why don't we ransom them off to their families? So then the decision was made to ransom the prisoners off to their families. Once the families of the unbelievers found out, they started to send people who were ransoming off the prisoners. So Sayyidina Zainab radiallahu anha, she thought that my husband is also a prisoner. So she went to the Prophet ﷺ and she gave him a necklace. And she said that I offer this necklace as a ransom for my husband. When the Prophet ﷺ, he looked at the necklace and he took the necklace before his sahaba and he started to cry. And the sahaba said, Ya Rasulullah, why are the tears coming to your eyes? And he said that know that my daughter Zainab, she has given me that necklace with Sayyidina Khadija radiallahu anha that my noble wife, she, that, uh, that my wife gave her at the occasion of her wedding. In other words, this necklace was a wedding gift from Sayyidina Khadija al-Anha to Sayyidina Zainab. And not only that, then the Prophet ﷺ said, and this is the same necklace that I gave to Khadija al when we got married. So this necklace reminds me of Sayyidina Khadija. I can think how much love my daughter had for her. So I cannot bear that my daughter is parting with this necklace. So then the Sahaba quickly discussed amongst themselves and they said, Ya Rasulullah, we wish that Zainab's husband be freed and all of us, we willingly forego our share of that ransom, therefore you can give her back her necklace. So this is how much love the fathers have for their daughters. So the Sharia demands that, O oh woman, if you use the love that your father has for you to make him do so many things for you, a daughter, can she can convince her father that, oh my father, I want this, I want this piece of clothing, I want this type of phone, I want to go somewhere, I want to do something... The daughter knows that because the father and mother, they love her. So sometimes the daughter will invoke her daughterhood. She will use the fact that her parents love her to make them do things, to make them agree to things. So the Sharia demands that just like we make that love, we use the love that our parents have for us as daughters to make them agree to things, we must use that love to call them to the deen. We must think that if our parents want to please us because they love us as our, because we're their daughters, you must use that love to invite them to the deen. Do you think that if there's a father who loves his daughter, if the daughter goes to him softly, kindly, sweetly, invokes the love that he has for her, and then she invites her father for salah, how will he refuse to pray? If she goes and heats up the water or prepares the water for the father's wudu, and says, Oh father, I have prepared the water for wudu for you, why do you not come today and also join me in salah? So it means that the sharia wants because the Sharia has placed this love in the parents' hearts for their daughter, 
that every woman who is a daughter, she should use the love that the parents have for her to bring her parents towards the deed. And this is what the famous daughters of Rasulullah Salim used to do. They used to just be people who used to help their parents in the deen. Imam Malik bin Anas radiallahu an. Imam Malik rahimahullah, one of the famous jurists, he had two daughters. And he had taught them and made them alama, had made them muhadditha, had made them hadith scholars. They, it comes in a rawaya about Imam Malik that when he used to give his dars of hadith, when he used to teach hadith, his two daughters used to sit behind the partition. And they would listen to the students narrating hadith, reciting hadith. If the student made a mistake in his ibadah, in his recitation of the hadith, then the daughters used to have two pieces of wood that they would clap together. When they would make that noise, Imam Malik rahimahullah would know that the students have made a mistake and then he would correct them. So look what pious women these were that they helped their scholars. They were means of their fathers uh, coming towards the deen. The second identity that a woman has is as a sister. That Allah SWT has placed the love for a sister in the hearts of men. And the brothers and the spouses and the siblings, they have a love for the sister. Whatever the sister says, sometimes they accept her word. So just like that, the Sharia says that a woman should use, just the way she uses, the love her brother has for her for the dunya. She gets her brother to drop her off somewhere. She gets her brother to buy her something from the market. She gets her brother to do so many things for her. Because she uses that love that the brother has for her as a sister, just like that, the Sharia wants that we should use the love that the brother has for us and make him follow the deen. And there are so many examples of this again from the Sahaba. All of you know the famous story of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu. One of the most powerful people of the Arabs of the time of the Prophet. Known for his jalal, known for his majestic temperament. So one day Sayyidina Umar anhu, he left his house with the intention that he was going to martyr the beloved messenger. Imagine such a harsh intention that he was set foot to martyr the beloved, the blessed, the greatest of all creation. So he set foot and on his way, somebody met him and said, Oh, Omar, you look so angry, you're walking in such haste, with such determination, where is it that you're going? And he said, I have decided today that I will put an end to all this, and I'm going to go martyr this person who is claiming to be the Prophet of Allah. And that person then mocked him and said, Oh, Omar, you are going and you're thinking you're going to finish this religion, this deen. Do you not know that this deen has entered your very own house, your very own family? And Sayyidina Omar said, Well, what do you mean? He said that your sister and your brother-in-law, they have already accepted Islam and you don't even know it. So Sayyidina Umar, he went to his sister's house. So imagine how much anger he must have had already that he was going to martyr the Prophet. On top of that, and this person's mocking, so he must have gone to his sister's house in a rage. In an utter rage. And his heart must have been so harsh. So when he knocked on the door and announced himself, they were reading Quran, they quickly hid the Quran and they opened the door. The brother-in-law opened the door. So when Sayyidina Umar, his sister's husband, opened the door, he asked him, he confronted him, that is it true that I have heard that you have accepted Islam? That when a person who loves Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he loved the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu how long can he or she hide this iman? So when he was confronted with this direct question, he said yes. And he said, what is the harm if I've accepted? Islam is the true way, what is the harm if I've accepted this deen? So Sayyidina Umar, he just struck him on the face. And he became upset and he started to attack him. So then his sister came out and the sister came between them. 
Then Sayyidina Umar, he struck his sister, his sister, she landed on the ground, and then blood came from her mouth. So she stood up. Imagine the same Sayyidina Umar, who it comes in hadith that the women used to tremble at his passing. Such a powerful personality, known amongst all the Arabs of the time to be a man of such power and determination. And he had just struck this woman's husband, and he had struck this woman herself. But she stood up, look at the power of her iman. She said a historical sentence, a sentence worth writing in gold. She said that, Oh Umar, that know that you and I, we have drank the same milk of the same mother. That you and I, we have both drank the milk from the same mother. You can take the life out of my body, but know that you will never be able to take the iman out of my soul. This is all she had to say. And the words of his sister, the words of this sister, it struck the heart of Sayyidina Umar. That same heart that had been determined to kill the beloved messenger, that same heart which was so hardened that he could strike his own flesh and blood, immediately the words of the sister, the power of the sister's iman melted the heart of Sayyidina Umar. And then he looked at his sister and said, Oh my sister, then why do you not also show me what it is that you secretly recite? And then the sister's iman, she didn't waver. She didn't think that, okay, I'll make some exception. She said, no. She said, Oh, Omar, my brother, know that only the pure can touch this book. So if you wish to pick up and read the Qur'an, you must purify yourself. So Sayyidina Omar, again, just at the prompting of his sister, he went and he made ghusl, and then he came back, and then he read Qur'an, and then he accepted iman, and as all of you know, when he went and accepted iman at the hands of the Prophet, and he became one of the greatest of Muslims, and he did so much for the deen, and all the reward for that comes to his sister, because she used the power of her sisterhood. She invoked the fact that we have both drank the milk from the same mother. So he accepted Islam because of his sister. May Allah Ta'ala give all of us sisters like that. May Allah Ta'ala make all of us such sisters who we do so much for our brothers, the way the sisters, how much she did for Sayyidina Umar. Even in small things, the sisters used to do so much. Once Sayyidina Aisha radiallahu anhu, her brother Abdurrahman bin Abi Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhuma. He came to meet his sister, and while he was sitting with his sister Aisha, he made wudu. But it comes in hadith that when he made wudu, he left his ankle dry. So she just looked at him and she said very kindly, that, O oh, Abdurrahman, I've heard from the Prophet ﷺ that when a person is lazy in their wudu, and they leave some part, uh, some body part that is supposed to be washed, if they leave it dry, then it is possible that Allah Ta'ala will place that body part in the hellfire. Immediately Abdurrahman he got up, radiallahu anhu, he made his wudu again, and after that he says, I was always so careful in my wudu. It means that the women, they used to be so interested in the deen of their brothers, they used to look at every minute detail of the deen of their brother. Even the dry spot on the ankle of her brother did not escape the notice of Sayyidina Aisha. This is how much love a sister should have for her brother. This is how much a sister should invite her brother to the deen. The last example of sisterhood is again of Sayyidina Abdullah bin Umar, the son of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhuma. Once his wife died, and he didn't have any children, he became a widower. So he thought to himself that, well now I will just dedicate my life to keeping the company of the Prophet as I've been doing, and I will just learn the hadith and transmit the teachings of the Prophet. So he made this niyyah. His sister Sayyidina Hafsa radiallahu anha, the wife of the Prophet, the mother of the believers, and the brother of Sayyidina Abdullah, she went to him and said, Oh my brother, you have made this intention that you wish to remain unmarried, but know that I have heard 
from the beloved Messenger وسلم, that if a man gets married and has children, and if he trains his children on the deen, and if his children grow up to practice the deen, then every breath that that child takes will be written for him as a good deed. So, oh my brother, why do you deprive yourself of this reward? So then Sayyidina Abdullah bin Umar, because of the words of his sister, he went and got married, and then he had children. Many of them were famous scholars. And then he got so much reward. All because of the words, the kind, loving, sincere advice of his sister. In fact, Sayyidina Abdullah bin Umar was such a big hadith scholar himself. It could very well be that he might even have heard of this hadith, but it took the words of his sister to encourage him to practice it. So it means, my sisters, that when Allah Ta'ala has placed a love in the heart of your siblings for you as a sister, then the Sharia demands, Ku anfusakum wa ahlikum nara, that you must use this love that people have for you as their sister, you must invoke your sisterhood, you must invite them towards the deen, and you must be a means of helping them and saving them from the hellfire. The third identity that a woman has is as a wife. And everybody knows how much the husband loves his wife. He earns, he works all day, he labors all day just to earn the money to support his wife, to give the wife what she needs, to give the wife what she wants, to provide for his children. And all of us know how much a wife she can take from her husband. That a wife uses the love that the husband has for her to get so many things in the dunya. So many women, uh, many of you may be younger, but many women who are married, uh, they use this love that the husband has for them to get the husband to fulfill their wishes. In fact, they may even tell their friends that, oh, you know, my husband wasn't going to do this, but I spoke to him so nicely, I convinced him, and now he's letting me do whatever it is I wanted to do. So the woman knows that the husband loves her and she will sometimes use that love to get her way in the dunya. To do something jais, even something permissible, but to get him to agree to do something. In fact, although Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in Quran, nisa that he has given men a certain rank over women. It means that the woman, she should please her husband, she should be obedient to her husband. But the reality is, is that woman who is obedient to her husband, who pleases her husband, who does the khidmah, who helps to serve her husband, who is a pious mother, then although she is doing it out of respect for her husband, she wins over his heart in this manner. And then the husband begins to love the wife so much, that actually in the end the wife can get the husband to do whatever she wants him to do, because he has so much love for her. The example of this is in Quran, the story of Musa salam. If you look at Pharaoh, he was such an evil tyrant, a serial killer. He ordered the killings of all the babies of the Bani Israel. But then when his wife Asiya radiallahu anha, she found this baby Musa, and she went to her husband and she said, La taqtulun, that don't kill this child. Asa an yanfa'na, maybe he will be of some benefit to him, and that we should take him, that why don't we take him as a son? So this same Pharaoh whose heart was so hard that he wanted that every one of these type of babies should be killed, but just because his wife spoke to him, just because the power of the wife over the husband, just because the wife, she asked him to spare this baby's life, even somebody as hard-hearted as Pharaoh accepted what the wife said. So this shows my sisters that have Sayyidina Asiya radiallahu anha, even she could use her power as a wife to affect somebody as hard-hearted as for own, so that day when inshallah Allah gives you pious husbands, 
gives you pious spouses, you must think that you must use the love that he has for you to keep him on the deen, to guide him on the deen. And just like that again, we have so many examples from our sahabiyat, the greatest Muslim women, it means the greatest women who ever walked the face of this earth. So there was one, her name was Sayyidina Umm Sulaim, radiallahu anha. Her husband passed away, she became a widow. Then a man from her family, from her clan, his name was Abul As. And he was an unbeliever, but he was known to be very honest, very upright, very wealthy, very just member of this clan. So then he said that, Umm Sulaim, you are a widow, I propose for you, why do you not become my wife? And she said to him that, O oh, Abul As, surely you are such a great proposal that no woman in her right mind would turn you down, but I have accepted this deen of Islam, I have accepted the Prophet Muhammad wasallam, and you are an unbeliever, so I cannot marry you unless you decide to accept Islam. So Abul As said that, okay, give me one or two months, I'll think about it. One or two months passed, and then he went back to Umm Sulaim and sent a message to her again and said that, look, you are such a good woman of our family. Why is it that you choose to remain a widow? Would it not be better for you if you accepted my proposal and that you married me? So Umm Sulaim said that, O oh, Abul As, my Lord, he is Hayyun Qayyum. He is Al-Malik Al-Khaliq. He is the everlasting, the internal, the eternal, the master, the creator. How is it that if we live together, I worship him? And you continue to worship these idols made up of mud and clay and stone. O Abul As, wouldn't it be better if you also accepted this one Allah? Wouldn't it be better if you testified to the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Abul As, where it is normally the practice that a man must give a woman, his wife, his bride, a mahr, uh, a dowry or a gift. O Abul As, if you accept Islam, then that will be sufficient for my mahr. I want nothing else from you as a mahr except that you accept Islam. So when he, she explained to him so sweetly, even before getting married, look at the power that the prospective wife can even have on her husband to be, that when he heard her speak so sweetly, when he saw how strong her iman was, that she was even willing to forgo a meher, or forgo anything, and she only wanted him to accept Islam, so then he accepted Islam, he recited the kalima, and then they got married, and then the sahaba, it comes that they used to tease him, that, oh, Abul As, we've heard many things, but you are the only person we know who gave his very iman as the mahar for his wife. So if a woman is so pious, she can make her mahar even the iman of a person. Another story, Umm Hakim, radiallahu anha, she was the wife of Ikrama bin Abi Jahal. Ikrama was the son of Abu Jahal, who as you know was one of the most despicable of the unbelievers, one of the greatest enemies of the Prophet, truly one of the greatest enemies of Allah. So when the Prophet Muhammad and the companions, they entered Makkah Mukarramah, and they were uh, victorious. So Ikrama he ran away. He was worried about revenge. He thought to himself that if the Prophet or the companions find me today, I have done so much wrong to them, maybe they will take some revenge on me. So he fled the city. But his wife, Umm Hakim, she had some idea of the Rahmah of the Prophet. She knew he was Rahmatan Alameen. So she went up to the Prophet and she said, O oh Rasulullah, I wish to accept Islam and I wish to recite the Kalima. So then she accepted Islam. And then she said, she had worry for her husband in her heart. She said that, O oh Prophet, if my husband were to come and accept Islam as well, would you grant him amnesty? Would you forgive him for all the wrongs that he did? Or would there still be some revenge taken upon him? And the Prophet Muhammad said, No, if your husband accepts Islam, then nothing will be done to him. 
So Umm Hakim, she became so happy, she immediately ran after, she went after her husband Ikrama. When she reached the river, she found out that Ikrama had taken a boat to cross the river. So then she also hired a boat. And she hurried her boat until it caught up with Ikrama. And she caught him up and said, Oh my husband, where are you going? And he said, Oh woman, do you not know that the Prophet and Sahaba, they have come and they are victorious in Makkah. If any of them find me, they will just take revenge on me. It is time for us to flee. And she said, No, O Ikrama, know that I have just come from meeting the Prophet. That I have accepted his deen, I have taken iman, and I also spoke to him about you. And he said, and I asked him that if you came, would he give you amnesty? And he said that yes, if you came and accepted Islam, he would give you amnesty. She said, Oh Ikrama, come back with me. So that woman became a sabab, a means to bring her husband back. She brought him to the company of the Prophet. She made him recite, or she was the means for him to recite Iman. And when he accepted Islam, the same Ikrama bin Abi Jahl, who was such an enemy of Islam, he became one of the greatest generals in Islam. So look how much a wife can do for her husband. Even in the beloved life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi himself. Look how much love that the husband and wife have for one another. When he received the first revelation that comes in Bukhari, he went to his wife Sayyidina Khadija al-Kubra radiallahu anha and he was in a state of worry, in a state of anxiety. He said, Zambiluni, Zambiluni, that, oh Khadija, encloak me, cover me, comfort me. So when she did that, then he said, Khashitu ala nafsi, that, oh Khadija, I'm worried about myself. Such a strange, incredible thing happened to me today. So she said, no, she said, Kalla, Wallah, she said, uh, no, never, by Allah, I swear. That O oh, Prophet Muhammad or O oh, Muhammad Mustafa Sallam, you are the one who is kind to the weak. You are the one who helps out the needy. You are the one who hosts is kind to the guests. You are the one who guides others towards righteousness. There is no way that something bad or something uh, terrible is going to happen to you, but rather it seems that the divine one wants to take some great work for you. So her words were a means of solace and comfort. May Allah SWT give all of us wives who comfort us in the way that Sayyidina Khadija Anha comforted the Prophet. May He make all of the women here wives who comfort our source of peace and tranquility for their husbands the way Sayyidina Khadija Anha she comforted the Prophet. But she didn't stop there. Then the next day she took the Prophet Muhammad to Warqa bin Nawfal to one of the uh, pious people of that time. And she said that what, and she told Prophet SAW to narrate his experiences before Warqa. And then he said, that, oh, you are the last messenger. You are the last prophet. You are the prophet that has been ordained to come and save humanity and give them the last revelation. And he said that, but you will be oppressed. You will even have to migrate and leave your town. And then he said, I wish I could be alive to see that day. I wish I would be live long enough so that I could help you and support you at your side. So it means that Sayyidina Khadija Radha Anha as the wife, she removed the worries of the prophet she did everything that she could do to help him. So it means that if a man loves a woman, if the wife knows that her husband loves her, then she should use the love, she should invoke that love and invite her husband towards the deen. Once there was a friend of my wife, and that friend, she was a very religious girl. But for some reason, her parents ended up getting her married into a family that wasn't that religious. So that woman, she was a religious woman, she prayed her salah regularly, but neither her husband nor her in-laws, her parents, did that pray salah. But this woman, she won over the hearts of her family so much. She used the love that her husband began to feel for her in his heart, that she slowly began to invite him to salah. So much so that eventually that man, he himself started praying five times salah regularly. 
Then when his in-laws saw what an incredible effect their new daughter had had on their son, they became ashamed. And they used to tell her later that we also started praying because we were ashamed that look at you, you made our son pray and we are growing old and we don't even pray. So then even they started praying. It means that a woman, she can use the love that Allah has placed in all these people for her to invite them to the deen. And the fourth and final aspect of a woman, after being a daughter, after being, in addition to being a sister, in addition to being a wife, a woman is also a mother. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put a strange love in the hearts of mothers for their children and also in the hearts of children for their mother. Oh, many poems have been written about this. Arabic poetry has been written about the love of the mother. Tashbih has been done with the love of the mother and the love, for, the love of Allah. So Allah has put this unique love in the heart of the mother for her children. In every home, you see that is the case, that a mother loves her children and the children love her mother. So much say that our shayukh say that if there is a sinner in the world, if there is a criminal person in the world, if there is an evil person in the world, there are only two beings in the world who may still love him. The first one is his mother. Because the mother, she never, the mother, she never gives up on her son or her daughter. No matter how much the son and daughter is sinning, in the end she thinks that this is still my son, this is still my child. And the second being is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah never gives up on His sinning servants. So the love of the mother is just so incredible. I have some friends in Pakistan who had come from Russia to study the deen, from the Russian states. And they told us the story once of a woman in Russia. That once there was an earthquake in Russia, and there were a lot of people who were buried under the rubble. So the search teams were running around trying to clear the rubble, trying to lift up the pieces of the building to take the people out. And one of the people they found, which was a strange story of a woman and her baby. And what had happened was that woman and her baby were trapped for hours. So then when she gave her baby the milk to drink, eventually her milk ran out. And they were trapped for a number of days. And then she was worried that she herself was feeling so weak, and she could see that her baby was beginning to feel so weak. And she had nothing around her and no, and she had nothing left inside of her to give to her baby. So what she did was she thought to herself that well if I have nothing else, if I have no milk left, I have nothing to give this baby, the only thing I have left is my blood. So she bit her finger, she chewed her finger so the blood would flow and she put that finger in the mouth of her baby. And then the baby began to suck the blood from that finger. Then the woman, she chewed another finger. So much so that she chewed all ten of her fingers and one by one she kept having her baby suck on her, this is not Muslim woman, suck on her blood. And then the woman said later on when she was taken out, she said that after I did that, there was also nothing more that I could do than I fell faint and my baby fell faint, but you people must have found me in time. So the doctors in that time actually said that if that woman hadn't done that, it's quite possible that that baby would have passed away. It means that look at the love the mother has for her babies, that she would even do something like that, she would even chew her own fingers for the sake of the sustenance, for the sake of the life of her baby. And probably none of us would even know, uh, certainly the men will never know, the girls will probably only really know what it means to be a mother when inshallah Allah makes them themselves mothers. But it means that every mother should use her motherhood to, pe- to bring her, the love that the children have for her as a mother to bring them on the deen. That same example, the same Sahaba we mentioned earlier, her name was Umm Sulaim. 
Umm Salim, her first husband, his name was Malik. And this is Malik, he was an unbeliever. Once Malik, he went away for trade. He went on a long month or two month journey for trading on a caravan. While he was gone, Umm Salim, she had the tawfiq, she had the ability to attend one majlis, one gathering of the Prophet And when she heard his words, she felt the reality, the sidq, the truth in his words. So she accepted Islam. When Malik came back, she said to her husband that, Oh, my husband, while you were gone, I accepted Islam. And he said that, Why did you rush? Why did you not wait for me? And she said, Oh, my husband, life is short. I had no idea. And I thought that I have found the right messenger, the last messenger. How could I wait to become a Muslim? So the husband and wife, they were just having this argument. And then their small son, Anas, he walked into the room. So Anas saw that his parents were arguing. So immediately the mother looked at Anas and said, Oh Anas, oh my son, I have accepted Islam, I have recited the kalama, why don't you also recite the kalama behind me? And then the son immediately said, Oh Anas, I am your father, do not recite the kalama. So it comes in the life of Anas, that Anas looked up at his father, he looked up at his mother, and after looking at them both, he simply walked towards his mother and he recited the kalama. Why? Because the love that the child has for the mother and all of you must have heard this name, Anas bin Malik, radiallahu an. It even comes in your books of hadith. A famous, a big scholar, one of the greatest gifts to Islam, one of the great imams of our deen. So it means that the du'as of a mother, the words of a mother, the tears of a mother, they can change the life of a child. So the sharia asks that every woman, when she becomes a mother, she should use the love that their children have for her to follow the deen. Just look at the mothers of the world, how much they do to get their children to do something. If the mother wants the child to go to school, she speaks to him kindly, she promises him sweets, she promises him reward, she gives him love, she coaxes him to going to school. Even if a mother simply wants her child to put on mittens or gloves when it's cold outside, she speaks to him so kindly and gently to incline, to soften her heart towards her. So just like that, when Allah has given the mother this power, when Allah has placed the attraction of the child and in the heart of the child for the mother, the Sharia demands, Ku anfusakum wa ahlikum nara. The O woman of the world, you must use this love that the children have for you to call them to the deen, to coax them into the deen, to invite them to the deen, so that you also become a means of saving them from the hellfire. In fact, women used to have a worry for their children even before they were born. And in fact, a woman can do that even before she is married. She can even right now begin making du'a for her children. An example from Quran is the wife of Imran alayhi salam. So when she was pregnant, she said to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Rabbi inni nadhartu laka ma fi batni. That, oh my Lord, I pledge to you, I uh, dedicate to you that which is inside my button or that which is inside my rahim, that which is inside my womb. Muharran fatakambal mini and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept it for me. So even before the children were born, the mothers would be so worried about the deen of their children. And I know I myself before I was married and even before I had children, I always used to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Allah ta'ala if when I have children, grant me children and make my children pious, make my children follow the deen. So the young women should even from now get into the habit of making dua for their future children. Another story of a woman, how much the women used to train their sons. All of you must have heard of the famous Shafi scholar, Imam al-Ghazali, rahimahullah. He was a famous Shafi faqih, and he was the biggest Sufi of his time. 
Imam al-Ghazali, rahimahullah, they were two brothers. One was the, the famous Imam, Imam Muhammad Abu Hamid al-Ghazali, and one was his brother, Imam Ahmad al-Ghazali. And their father passed away when they were at a young age, so their mother is the one who took over their tarbiyah, the mother raised them up and trained them. But there was a very strange thing that's written in the books about Imam al-Ghazali, that his brother Ahmad al-Ghazali would refuse to pray salah behind him. And this used to be a great source of embarrassment to the Imam. So much so that then he went to his mother and said, Oh mother, my older brother Ahmad, he doesn't pray behind me. All the people make fun of this. All the people talk about this, but when I'm not around, it has become a great source of embarrassment to me. So then the mother, she called her son Ahmad al-Ghazali and she said, Oh Ahmad, why is it that you do not pray behind your brother? You should pray behind him. So because of the words of his mother, the next day in Salah, uh, Shaykh Ahmad Ghazali, he went and he stood in Salah behind Imam Ghazali. So after Imam Ghazali started the Salah, in the first rakah, Shaykh Ahmad prayed behind him. But in the second rakah, Shaykh Ahmad, he said salams, he broke his Salah and he left. Now there was even more noise, more of a hullabaloo afterwards. That looked at first Shaykh Ahmad, he never prayed behind the Imam. Now he came and prayed, but he couldn't even stand to do it for more than a rakah. And in the second rakah, he broke away. So again, Imam al-Ghazali went to his mother and complained that my brother, my older brother Ahmed, he came and he did this today. Now it's even worse than it was before. So the mother, she called the older son Ahmed. And she said, Ahmed, what, what did you do? Why is it? Why did you break your salah? And Shaykh Ahmed al-Ghazali said that, Oh my mother, because you told me, I went and prayed behind my brother. So as long as he was praying salah, I prayed by him. But the second he forgot about his salah, I had to break my salah and leave. And she said, what do you mean? And he said that, ask my brother, Imam al-Ghazali, ask him, he knows. And Imam al-Ghazali looked down. His first turn turned red with shame. And he said, yes, my mother, my brother has spoken truly. That when I started salah, in the first rakah, in the first unit of my salah, I was focused on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But in the second rakah, there was some legal issue, some legal mas'ala of fiqh, that I had been studying in depth before the salah, all of a sudden in the second rakah, a thought came into my mind how to solve this problem. So for a few moments, my mind wandered towards that legal ruling and it left the remembrance of Allah. And that must be why that my brother, he must have broken his salah. So then the mother, she looked at both of them and then she looked down. And it comes in the books that she sighed. She took a cold breath, she took a cold gasp, she sighed. And then the son looked at her and said, Oh mother, why is it that you were sighing? Are you upset with us? And she said that today both of you have disappointed me. I'm sad that I have no son in the world. And they looked at her and said, Oh mother. And the mother said that yes, because one son of mine, when he leads the salah, he cannot even think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He cannot remember Allah in his salah. Instead of directing his heart to Allah, he directs his heart towards his books. How can I call such a person a son of mine? And the other one, Instead of directing his heart to Allah, he is busy in Salah looking at the heart of his brother. So how can I call either of you my sons? So look at the tarbiyah. When there were women like this in the world, they produced people like Imam al-Ghazali. So the women of this ummah, we must train our children, we must raise our children to follow the deen, to teach them with love, to train them with love, to reprimand them with love. There's so many other, many, many stories but the end of it all is that every woman, she is either a daughter, a sister, a wife, or a mother, or sooner or later will become any or all of these things. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Sharia commander, it is a command for the women as much as it is for the men, 
that we should save ourselves from the hellfire and a woman should use the love that Allah has placed in the brother for her, that Allah has placed in the parents for her, that Allah has placed in the husband for her, and that Allah has placed in the children for her, to use it as a means to guide these family members of hers, to guide her ahal, to invite them to the deen, to be a means of them coming towards the deen. The example our Mashaikh give us, if there's a fire in the house, then do the women simply stay on the side? No. They rush alongside with the men to extinguish that fire. So my sisters, today we live in this world of fitna. In society, in a world where there's so much temptation, where there's so much sin, we live in a world that we are surrounded by the fire of sins at all sides. And it's not enough just for the men of this ummah to try to combat that fire. We need the strong women of the deen to reach out and combat that fire, to keep that fire from reaching their brothers, their sons, their parents and their children. So if a father is in difficulty, all of you will know that when a father is in difficulty, sometimes the daughter, she's even more worried about her father than the sons. So if we wish to help out in this work of the deen, and alhamdulillah all of you here are studying in Adar Lulum, all of you are here to acquire knowledge. And you should know that ilm, the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam said that al-ilmu nurun, that knowledge is a light. In fact, one of our big scholars, Sheikh Mufti Muhammad Shafi'i once he was sitting with his students and he asked them, that, can you tell me what knowledge is? Can you tell me the definition of ilm? So one student said, idrak, to comprehend or to ascertain. One student said, ma'rifa, to know. One student said, tafakkuh, to understand. But Sheikh Mufti Muhammad Shafi'i he was just silent. So then the student said, one student said, that, oh Sheikh, why don't you tell us yourself? And he said a strange thing. Really, he really defined the, or explained the meaning of this hadith of ilmunurun, that knowledge is light. He said that knowledge, listen to this carefully, especially for the students of knowledge, that knowledge is that light, that when it enters your heart, it penetrates to the depths, to the core of your heart, and will not let you rest content until you practice upon that knowledge. Knowledge is that light that when it, it penetrates the depth to the core of your heart and then it will not let your heart rest content until you have practiced upon that knowledge. Until you do amal on your ilm. He said, otherwise if you don't practice your knowledge, we won't call that ilm, we'll call it ma'lumat. We'll call it information. That you're carrying random pieces of information with you. So this ilmun na'fi', this beneficial and blessed knowledge that the Prophet taught us to make du'a for, means that knowledge which is practiced upon, that we actually make it a light in our hearts. So how did our elders get this? How did the big scholars of the ummah, how did they become people of amal? How did they bring their knowledge into practice? The way our scholars used to do it, the way the students of knowledge have done it from the beginning of time until today, is through this process called tazkiyah. In addition to acquiring knowledge, in addition to studying in the Darul we must learn the science of purifying our soul. Imam al-Ghazali, as all of you know, his famous life. He was a professor at the Nizami Academy, but he left everything and spent 10 years in Damascus and in Jerusalem in the company of the pious ones, in the company of, of the mutasawwifin, in the company of the scholars who knew how to purify his heart. And after spending 10 years, then he re-emerged and he also wrote his book, Ihya Ulumuddin, The Revival of the Religious Sciences. Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal, rahimahullah, one of the great legal scholars, he used to keep the company of the famous Sufi Shaykh, Bishr Hafi. 
So once one of his students asked him that, Oh Imam Ahmad, you are such a big scholar of the deen, such a big scholar, why is it that you go and sit at the feet of the shaykh? And Imam Ahmad said a strange thing. He said, My students, I am alim bi kitabillah. That I am a scholar, I have ilm about the book of Allah. I am alim bi kitabillah, but know that Shaykh Bishrahafi, he is alim billah. He is a knower of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that's why we must sit at his feet. Imam Abu Nifa, it's also famous about him, the saying, Lawla sanatan la halaka nu'man. That if there were not for two years, nu'man, which is the name of Imam Abu Nifa, if it were not for these two years, Imam Abu Nifa would have been destroyed. He was referring to the two years he spent learning the science of purification of the soul in the company of Imam Jafar al-Sadiq. In fact, in Quran, Allah Taala has mentioned four functions of the Prophet. وَيَطْلُوا عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتِهِ To recite the revelation unto them. Now this ended with the Prophet. Once the Prophet, the wahi was revealed unto his heart, and he recited it with his tongue, and it was recorded for the end of time. There will be no further revelation. But the other three missions of the Prophet, all of them will remain alive until the Day of Judgment. What are they? So first was, وَيَطْلُوا عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتِهِ وَيُزَكِّيهِمْ And to purify them, to make their tazkiyah, وَيُعَلِّمُهُمْ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ And to teach them the book and to teach them the hikmah. So because time is running out, we can't give a full tafsir of this ayah. I will just tell you one or two things. The first here is if anybody ever asks you, my sisters, that why do you need to study the deen? Why do you need to sit with scholars? Why don't you just learn Arabic? Well, think on this verse that Prophet revealed the verses of Quran to the people. And these were people, the Quran was Quran and Arabiya, was an Arabic Quran. And these were people who knew Arabic. But still Allah made a separate mention of a separate distinct function where you alimuhum al-kitab, ta'lim al-kitab. There's not just recitation of the book or knowing the Arabic of the book, but you must have a mu'allim, you must have a teacher for that book. So this is a sunnah that Prophet Muhammad was the mu'allim al-awwal, the first teacher of the book. And then the sahaba taught the tabin, the tabin taught the taba tabin, and there is barakah in taking our knowledge from a continuous chain, an unbroken chain of transmission. That's why in our Dalulums we teach with the Sanat, that I studied under so-and-so, who acquired this knowledge under so-and-so, who acquired this knowledge under so-and-so, all the way back to the Prophet Muhammad wasallam. This is the Barakah in our deen. This is why Prophet said in the Hadith, Al-Barakatu Ma'akabirikum. That Barakah, blessing lies in holding fast to your Akabir, to your elders. So just like we do that in Ta'lim al-Kitab, there is the same tradition, the same way in our Tazkiyah. Because Allah Ta'ala said that Prophet came, we use Zakihim to purify the Sahaba. Then there were groups of the Tabin who affiliated themselves with different Sahaba, and the Sahaba used to educate them, to teach them how to leave their inner sins, to purify them. They used to make Tawbah at the hands of these Sahaba. And then the Taba Tabin, they used to make Tawbah and to learn uh, the way to purify their hearts at the hand of the Tabin. And so on and so forth, this chain continued. And all of our Salaf Salahin, our pious predecessors, our Akabir Ulamai Sham, Akabir Ulamai Hind, Akabir Ulamai Misr, all of these great Mashayikh, all of these Ulama, they used to, in addition to acquiring their knowledge from authentic scholars, from a chain of transmission of knowledge back to the Prophet, they would also purify their souls with an authentic chain of transmission that led back to the Prophet. And this is called tazkiyat al-nafs or tasfiyat al-qalb to purify our soul and to cleanse our hearts. So if a student of knowledge 
wants to become a woman who does amal, then she must also drink from the fountain of Tazkiyah. Because that was the way Imam al-Ghazali became a person of amal. That he acquired all his knowledge, but he also dedicated specific time to purifying his soul. And Imam al-Ghazali, just like he acquired his worldly knowledge from living scholars, he also went and sat in the company of living shiyukh. One of his shiyukh was Khwaja Abu Ali Farmadi, one of the famous Sufi sheikhs of his time. So Imam al-Ghazali kept his company and was able to purify himself. So my daughters, it means that we must make tawbah, that we must, in addition to our studies, we must learn the way of tazkiyah, we must take a teacher in this path of tazkiyah, we must learn the way of dhikr, so that we too can learn how to remember Allah from our hearts, to worship Allah in our hearts, and to be pleasing to Him. Just think that whenever a father is in difficulty, how much the daughters help him out. So we should think that Rasulullah he brought this fikr, this worry of the deen, that I already told you, he already took so much hope and comfort that it would reach the four corners of the world. So if we begin to view ourselves, and indeed we must view ourselves in this way, that we are daughters of the Prophet. In other words, we are daughters of the 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 Prophet because he even taught us that his wives are Ummahat al-Mu'mineen, that they are the mothers of the believers. So if they are our mothers, then should we not begin to view ourselves as their daughters? And if we view ourselves as their daughters, does not every daughter try to help out the mission of her father? So may Allah Ta'ala bless all the women who are here. May He make them follow the deen. May He make them means of bringing the deen to their homes. Before we make dua, inshallah, there's a tradition of Ramashaykh. The Prophet Muhammad that you should renew and revive your iman throughout your life. So some of Ramashayik, they recite these things which we call Kalimat al-Tawbah, the words of Tawbah. It simply means that we retestify our faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we pledge to Allah that we will live a life according to His sins, that we will repent from our sinful ways. And this is what is mentioned in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded the Prophet, فَاسْتَكِمْ kama umirta وَالَّذِينَ tab ma'ak That you should be steadfast in what you have been commanded and those who made Tawbah with you. So this is a sunnah means of doing Tawbah, that the Sahaba did Tawbah with the Prophet ﷺ. Now we cannot see the Prophet ﷺ, we could not meet the beloved Messenger. So what we do is we make Tawbah with the people who made Tawbah, with the people who made Tawbah with the Prophet. And this is mentioned specifically even about women in Surah Al-Mumtahana. It says, إِذَا جَاءَكَ الْمُؤْمِنَاتِ uh, Allah addresses the Prophet that when the believing women come to you, that they wish to repent of their sins, that they wish to profess that they will never do shirk, that they won't steal, that they won't make zina, etc. Then what does Allah command the Prophet? فَبَايِعْهُنَّ To take a pledge from them. وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لَهُنَّ اللَّهِ And seek forgiveness for them in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is simply a sunnah way that the Prophet used to do for the believers, the Sahaba did with the Tabeen, that they would make tawbah collectively and they would ask Allah ta'ala to forgive them for their sins. The reason was, is that as all of you know, Tawbah is a form of du'a. And it comes in hadith when a group of people make du'a, even if one person's du'a is accepted, then the du'a of all the people will be accepted. So who knows today if we make Tawbah together, maybe there will be one young woman who here who is sincere in her heart. That she truly repents to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and out of her barakah, verily in Allah ghafurur rahim, Allah ta'ala is forgiving, He is merciful, maybe He may actually accept all of our tawbah. So what I will do, I will recite a short sunnah khutbah that our Mashaikh use. You may listen to that. 
and then after that you may recite the words of Iman and Toba after me. Then we will make uh, a dua uh, and then we will conclude inshallah. Listen to this in the khutbah. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Nahmaduhu, wa Nasta'inuhu, wa Nastaghfiruhu, wa Nu'minu bihi, wa Natawakkadu alayhi. ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن سيدنا محمد عبده ورسوله أما بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم إن الذين يبايعونك إنما يبايعون الله يد الله فوق أيديهم سبحان ربك رب العزة أما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين I will recite the words of Iman of Toba uh, Any woman who wishes to make Toba at this moment she may recite the words softly to herself and the men may recite if they wish as well a person can make two intentions of this. One intention is simply to make Toba for all of their sins. And another intention is if anybody wishes to take a teacher or wishes to have me or my own wife as a teacher on this way, then at the end I will explain to those people some two or three small dhikrs that they can do from the Quran and Hadith that will enable them to remember Allah in their life. So these are the words of Toba. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. You can just recite after me. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. La ilaha illallahu. Muhammad Rasulullah. Amantu billahi. Wa malaikatihi. Wa kutubihi. Wa rasulihi. Wal yawmil akhiri. Wal qadri khayrihi. Wa sharrihi. Min Allahi ta'ala. وَالْبَعْثِ بَعْدَ الْمَوْتِ آمَنْتُ بِاللَّهِ كَمَا هُوَ بِأَسْمَائِهِ وَصِفَاتِهِ وَقَبِلْتُ جَمِيعَ أَحْكَامِهِ إِقْرَارٌ بِاللِّسَانِ وَتَسْدِيكٌ بِالْقَلْبِ أَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهَ رَبِّي مِنْ كُلِّ ذَنْبٍ وَأَتُوبُ إِلَيْهِ أَسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهَ رَبِّي مِنْ كُلِّ ذَنْبٍ وَأَتُوبُ إِلَيْهِ أستغفر الله ربي من كل ذنب وأتوب إليه وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين برحمتك يا الحمد الرحمن by reciting these words, we renewed our iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We pledged to Allah, astaghfirullah, O Allah, I ask your forgiveness. My Lord, my kind and generous Lord, from all the sins that I ever did, and I repent unto you. 
Any woman who wishes to begin on this path, she may learn the following things. Armashayak, they teach us only five or six very simple things. Number one is to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at all times. Allah has commanded in the Quran, Ya ayyuhallalina amanu dhkurullaha dhikran kathira. That O you who believe, the believing men and women, we should remember Allah at all times. In another place, Allah mentions those who remember Him in Qiyam those who remember Him standing, sitting, and lying on their sides. It means we must feel the love of Allah, we must feel His remembrance at all times. Just like any girl who is missing her parents. So no matter if she is studying, she is in the classroom, she is eating, she is making khidmat, inside her heart she is always remembering her parents. When her parents call her up on the phone, she says, Oh mom, I remember you all the time. It doesn't mean she sits in the corner and she's saying, Mom, Mom, Mom. But it means in her heart, she's always thinking about her mother. Just like that, the believing woman's heart should always be thinking about Allah. So this is a very plain and simple dhikr from the Qur'an that you should just think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at all times. Throughout the day, check your heart and say, Oh my heart, were you aware of Allah? Were you aware that Allah is qareeb? That He has given you His ma'iyah, that He is close to you? If you were unaware, if you were heedless, if you were absent-minded, then just join your heart again with Allah. Just remember Him and think about Him and recollect Him again. And throughout the day, keep doing this exercise of checking your heart and seeing if your heart is remembering Him. So that is the first thing, is a simple vicar to remember and think about Allah 24 hours a day. The second thing is called maraqabah, which we will do just now. It is a silent vicar of the heart. Allah is mentioned in Quran, وَذْكُرْ رَبَّكَ فِي نَفْسِكَ and remember your Lord inside of yourself. And another ayah, وَذْكُرْ إِسْمَ رَبِّكَ وَتَبَتَّلْ إِلَيْهِ تَبْتِيلَ And remember the name of your Lord and seclude yourself, isolate yourself and focus exclusively on Him. So our Mashaikh teaches a silent dhikr that a person should simply close her eyes, bow her head and imagine her heart is remembering Allah. Don't even say anything with your tongue. Just train your heart to be able to remember Him. Because Allah has linked dhikr with His heart he has said in Quran, وَلَا مَنْ أَغْفَلْنَا قَلْبَهُ أَنْ ذِكْرِنَا That do not follow that person whose heart, whose qalb, whose spiritual heart we have made devoid or empty of our remembrance. So it means from this ayah of Quran that the function or the seat of dhikr is the qalb, is the heart. So we have to develop this ability to remember Allah in our heart. And that is what we're missing in our salah. When Allah says in Quran, أَقِيمُ الصَّلَاةُ لِذِكْرِ why do we not feel Allah in our salah? Is it because our tongues aren't making dhikr? No. Our tongues are reciting Qur'an, but our hearts are absent. So we have to develop this ability to remember Allah in our heart. So this simple Qur'anic way of dhikr of the heart, that you sit silently, you close your eyes, only to block off all of your uh, the sensory perception, all of the things that you see. And you try to cut yourself off from everything in the world, and you just focus on Allah in your heart. You imagine that the beloved messenger وسلم, said that every time we sin, a black spot comes in our heart. So imagine how many sins we have done. How much our heart may be blackened. But oh Allah, if we remember you. Another beautiful ayah in Quran, Allah said, That remember me and I will remember you. Subhanallah al-Azim. Look at the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who are we that He should remember us? Us such sinful, such filthy servants. Allah has said, فَذْكُرُونِي remember me and I will remember you. How does Allah remember us? كَمَا يُلِيكُ الشَّعْنُ As befits His Majesty. But the Mashaikh saying that one way Allah remembers us is simply by sending His mercy, His rahmah, His maghfirah, His forgiveness upon us and cleaning our heart of those black spots of sin. 
So what you do is you initially, you just make this near this intention. You imagine that Allah's mercy is coming into your heart. You imagine that you're remembering Allah in your heart. Because of that, Allah is remembering you, that His mercy is coming to your heart, and He is washing the sins away from your heart. He is softening your heart. And then in gratitude for that, after this niyyah, then all you have to think is that my heart is remembering His name. As if my heart is remembering this blessed name, Allah, 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 and I'm just sitting there and listening to it. That we should engrave the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on our heart. That we have thought about so many things in our heart, now has come the time to pass this name, this beloved name, Tabarakasmuka, that blessed is your name. This blessed name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on our heart. The third thing is to read a portion of the Qur'an every day. Whether it's one juz, half a juz, whatever you can do regularly. The fourth thing is to recite this istighfar 100 times a day. Astaghfirullaha Rabbi min kulli dhanbi wa atubu ilayh. Astaghfirullaha Rabbi min kulli dhanbi wa atubu ilayh. To recite this 100 times a day. Because it comes in a days in one rawaya, Prophet Muhammad did istighfar 70 times a day. In another rawaya, it comes that Prophet did istighfar 100 times a day. And in many places in the Quran, Allah Ta'ala commands us, astaghfiruhu fatubu illallah, to make istighfar to him and to make tawbah to him. So the first thing was to remember Allah 24 hours a day. The second thing was for 10-15 minutes a day to practice the silent dhikr of the heart, to imagine that your heart is saying Allah, Allah, and you were just listening to it. The third thing was to read part of the Qur'an every day. The fourth thing was to recite istighfar 100 times a day. The fifth thing is to recite durood or salawat. The following formula, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallam. To recite this 100 times a day because all of you know Allah's commandments in Qur'an that the Allah and the angels bless the Prophet, that the believers should bless him as well. The sixth and final thing is to keep in touch with your teacher. So if anybody wishes to take myself or my wife, normally my wife handles the women's side, uh, we will leave our name, our phone number, and our email address with uh, your teachers here, and anybody can contact us with any problem. Now what does this mean, keeping in touch with your teacher? It just means like the athletes of the world, the way they have coaches, the way have the, they have trainers. Allah has told us in Quran, Kunu ma'asadikin. He has told us, Fasalu ahna dhikri in kuntum la ta'lamun. He has told us, All these ayahs mean that we should take help from those who are more knowledgeable than us in any particular field. So just like we study hadith from somebody who has ijazah in hadith, who himself studied hadith from somebody who had ijazah in hadith, we must take our ilm, our knowledge from those who have a sound a chain of transmission. Just like that, we must learn dhikr from those people who have a sound chain of transmission. Then we will be sure that inshallah they don't teach us anything that is against the sharia, but rather there are ways of us to follow the sunnah and sharia. So one thing a person tells their teacher is, are they able to do the dhikr? Were they successful? For example, if they sit for 10 minutes, are they able to focus on Allah in their heart or not? Are they able to make istighfar or not? And the second thing is that sometimes we need help to overcome our sins. One girl, she might have a lot of anger, she doesn't know what to do. One girl, she might have a lot of greed, she doesn't know what to do. One girl, she might have a lot of envy and jealousy for her fellow students, she doesn't know what to do. So many different problems that we have. One girl might think, Allah doesn't listen to my du'as, she needs to be explained accordingly. One girl might think that, oh, I, I do a sin, then I make tawbah, then I do a sin again, then I make tawbah, and it keeps going back and forth. Sometimes shaitan tells me, what's the point? 
all these things that occur to us, it means that we need help, we need guidance for somebody to educate us according to the Qur'an, Sunnah, and Sharia, how we can develop ourselves spiritually, how we can become closer to Allah, how we can become more pleasing to Allah. So inshallah, just for a few minutes, we will do the zikr of the heart, and then we finally conclude with the dua. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah Raise your hands in dua Subhana Rabbi walha Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad Wa ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad Wa barik wa sallam Rabbana zalamna anfusana Wa illam taghfir lana Wa tarhamna lanakunanna minal khasirin Rabbana our kind and generous Lord O oh, Ya Allah who nurtured us from the moment we were born Who gave us everything that we had Give us everything that we needed. Ya Allah, zalamna anfusana. We have wronged our souls. Ya Allah, we have oppressed our souls. We have sinned against you. We have broken your rules. We have left the sunnah of your beloved messenger. Ya Allah, we have become distant from you. We have failed to remember you in our salah. Ya Allah, we testify that we have wronged no one but our own selves. That we have fooled no one but our own selves. That we have deceived no one but our own selves. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, send your maghfirah upon us. Send your forgiveness upon us. Send your rahmah upon us. Be happy with us. Shower your love upon us. Be kind with us. Ya Allah, if you do not forgive us, then we will be amongst the khasirin. We will be amongst the lost ones. Ya Allah, forgive us for all the sins that we ever did. Forgive us for the sins that we did in the day. Forgive us for the sins that we did at night. Forgive us for the sins that we did alone. Forgive us for the sins that we did with others. Forgive us for the sins that we did to ourselves. Forgive us for the sins that we did to others. Ya Allah, forgive us for the sins we did in the past. Forgive us for the sins we still commit in the present. Ya Allah, forgive us for the sins that we remember. Forgive us for the sins that we've even forgotten that we did them. Ya Allah, we are your weak servants. <coughs> ya Allah, shower your rahmah upon your weak servants. Ya Allah, keep us away from the people of sin. Keep us away from the gatherings of sin. Save us and protect us in this environment of sin. Ya Allah, keep us from the whisperings of shaitan and the nafs to sin. Ya Allah, keep us away from those friends who invite us and take us and involve us in sin. Ya Allah, only through your rahmah, only through your karam and your mercy will we be saved. Allah Ta'ala, we turn to you in repentance today. Ya Allah, we turn to you in from the depths of our heart and we repent of all our ways. We pledge to you from this moment on that we will live our life according to the Qur'an, Sunnah and Sharia. Ya Allah, we beg of you to transform us from the tips of our hair to the soles of our feet in a way that is pleasing to you. Ya Allah, today we want nothing other than your pleasure. Allahumma inni as'aluka ridaka. Allahumma inni as'aluka minka. Allahumma inni as'aluka anta. Oh Allah, today we ask of you, you. We ask of you a ta'luk, a relationship with you. We ask that we want to be close to you. We too want to feel the closeness in our heart. We too want to feel you in our salah. We too want to taste the sweet pleasure of sajda. Ya Allah, how many years will go by when we are Muslim without us feeling this pleasure? Ya Allah, shower your rahmah upon us. Ya Allah, you may have billions of servants, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we only have one you. Ya Allah, if you do not shower your rahmah upon us, where else is there for us to go? Ya Allah, we beg you to shower your mercy upon us. Ya Allah, put the love for you in our hearts. Allahumma inna nas'aluka hubbaka wa hubba man yuhibbuk. Ya Allah, put the love for you in our hearts and incline us to love those who love you. Put the love for the beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in our hearts and forgive us for our sins. Ya Allah, on that day of judgment, when everybody will be exposed before you. Ya Allah, how will we stand in front of the Sahaba? How will we stand in front of the Sahabiyat? Ya Allah, your beloved messenger said that they are the Ummahatul Mu'mineen. 
Ya Allah, no girl wishes to be embarrassed in front of her mother. Ya Allah, how will these girls stand before Sayyidina Khadisha and Sayyidina Aisha? What will happen if you expose their sins before their mothers, before the mothers of the believers? Ya Allah, it would be better if you forgive us in this world. Ya Allah, if you conceal our sins in that world. Ya Allah, do not expose us in front of our mothers. Do not expose us in front of the Sahaba. Do not expose us in front of the beloved Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Ya Allah, have mercy on this gathering. Ya Allah, all these young women are here studying your deen only for the sake of your pleasure. Ya Allah, put barakah in their ilm. Put barakah in their time. Give them the ilm nafih. Put the nur of the ilm into their hearts. Ya Allah, let them become people, girls of ilm. Let they become girls of dhikr. Let they become girls who strive to worship you, who remember you at all time. Make them amongst the dhakirat, athira. Make them those who remember you abundantly. Make them amongst the sabirat. Make them amongst the people of taqwa. Make them amongst the people of ihsan. Ya Allah, adorn them with all the great qualities of the believers. Ya Allah, make them not only save themselves from the hellfire, but give them the ability to save their family members, their ahl, their parents, their children, their spouses, their siblings, and the women folk in their society and in their family and their neighborhood. Ya Allah, make each and every one of them a fortress of the deen. Make each and every one of them a shining minar of the deen that she spreads the light of the Quran and Sunnah and Sharia wherever she goes. Ya Allah, in their barakah of them, in the sincerity of them, accept the dua of the men also. Ya Allah, accept our du'as on this day. Ya Allah, the beloved Messenger wasallam said, in a sahih hadith, that when people from different parts of the world gather together to remember you, that you send your special rahmah on them. Ya Allah, today people from different parts of the world are gathered together. We met one another only for your sake. We loved one another only for your sake. Ya Allah, send your special rahmah on this gathering. Ya Allah, accept our du'as this day. Ya Allah, it takes one but one glance of your mercy and you can change the condition of our hearts. Ya Allah, change our hearts today. Ya Allah, wake up our dead hearts. Ya enliven our hearts. Make our hearts yearn for you. Make our hearts love you. Make our hearts desire to meet you on the day of judgment. Ya Allah, accept all of our du'as. Ya Allah, any of these women who may have any difficulty, Ya Allah, you are the remover of all difficulties. Remove all of their worries. Solve all of their problems. If they are sick, grant them health. If they or their families have any financial difficulties, grant them the risk of halal tayyib, grant them the purest and noblest of wealth. Ya Allah, remove any of their difficulties. And if their difficulty is nothing other than their laziness, Ya Allah, help them to overcome their laziness. Put the strength of iman in their hearts. Make them women of action. Make them women of dynamism. Make them follow in the footsteps of the sahabiyat. Radiyallahu anhumna ajma'een. Ya Allah, accept our du'as to stay. Bless this da'alulum. Make this girl's Darulum a signing light of the Qur'an, Sunnah, and Sharia. Fill the halls of this Darulum with naked and pious women. And let this Darulum be a factory of producing naked, uh, righteous and pious women. Ya Allah, bless this Darulum and reward all the people who are involved in this effort. From the teachers, to the founders, to the administrators, to the parents, to the students. Allah, even reward those people who simply look upon this Darulum with a glance of love. Simply those people who remember this Darulum and their du'as. Ya Allah Ta'ala bless this place and make these women a strength and a source of guidance for their families, for the community, and for the Ummah, and even for the non-Muslim world. Rabbana taqabbal minna innaka anta samiul alim wa tubu alayna innaka anta tawabur rahim wa sallallahu ta'ala ala habibihi Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in bi rahmatika ya arhamar rahibin. Amen.